for an entrepreneur, especially, when you can get out of, I don't have to prove anything and I don't have to impress anyone, except I'm going to by faith do what God shows me. Is it a challenge? Yes, but it is awesome and liberating. Welcome to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. If you're an entrepreneur driven by your faith or want to be driven by your faith, then you're in the right place. The best way to stay connected is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. This podcast doesn't exist without you, our community. One of the things that the community has asked us for is helping connecting them with like-minded faith-driven investors. We're in the process of launching Marketplace, a new platform to present your venture and connect with like-minded investors that are serious about honoring God as you are. Everything from philanthropic to market rate deals, from here in the U.S. to emerging markets. Check it out at faithdriveninvestor.org forward slash marketplace. While you're there, please send us any thoughts you have about how this podcast might better serve you or any questions you might have about being a faith-driven entrepreneur. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Rusty. Thanks for joining us once again this week. You know, in addition to being one of the co-authors of the Faith Driven Entrepreneur book, Chip Ingram is one of those people that we can't seem to have on this podcast enough. If you followed along for a while, you've no doubt heard him before. But today, he's going to join us and share why he's so excited about the Faith Driven Entrepreneur book and what his latest book, titled Yes, You Really Can Change, has to say for every entrepreneur out there. Henry, let's dive in. Welcome back to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. We have one of our favorites, maybe our favorite guest, at least if you determine by frequency on the show. So you know that we value Chip as a friend, as a co-creator, as a pastor, as a leader, and just been a great encouragement to us as he's spent time with us on the podcast and on our conferences. He is a very widely distributed radio host and author, and uh, we have him now in his beautiful studios in downtown San Jose. Chip, welcome back. Henry, it is great to see you, and it's always a thrill to uh, rub shoulders with fellow entrepreneurs and the people that honestly change the world. And it's challenging, and I'm just excited to get to spend some time with you and the team. Well, thank you. And thank you also. Here's an opportunity. I've never done this before. This is something that Chip gets a chance to do more frequently than I, and you'll know why here in a second, because we're going to talk about his upcoming book. But Chip and I, together with J.D. Greer, have come out with a book, are coming out with a book called The Faith-Driven Entrepreneur. And Chip may or may not know this yet, but Lecrae is writing our foreword, which is exciting and cool. And uh, for our listeners who haven't ordered their copy, why should they? Why should a faith-driven entrepreneur care about what you have to say, what I have to say, what JD has to say about being a faith-driven entrepreneur. Isn't it just as simple as just kind of like, you know, I should go to church and I should probably pray. And then I've got a business to run. I need to get out there and just kind of execute. And, and you know, Lord willing, it'll be profitable and I'll be able to give money to everybody's ministry. Why would you consider reading a book on the topic? Well, because I think what you just stated is probably how a lot of people think. And I don't think that is even remotely what God wants or thinks. The biggest takeaway from this book, as I've read your chapters, mine, and JD's, is real integration of being a man or woman of God and being a cutting-edge, successful entrepreneur without compromise is possible, it's positive, and it's powerful. And honest entrepreneurs know that integrating your faith authentically all the time from the inside out, and I don't mean just in work, 
but relates to personal life, family, even beyond integrity, that's a challenge. And I think you really wrestle those things to the ground and give people some real help in that. Well, thank you. And really, of course, the operating pronoun there is we. And so you've got chapters on stewardship, faithful and willful, and what pastors and entrepreneurs have in common. What are some takeaways that people can look forward to reading about with that? You know, we've had lots of conversations. In fact, we had one like 20-hour conversation when we did an international trip together. Uh, we got there and got back, and it was very interesting. We did a day trip to Manila, didn't we? Yes, we did. That will be marked as one of the unique experiences in my life, to fly to Manila, be on the ground for eight hours, and fly back. But I think for high-energy, active entrepreneurs, the challenge, and this is true of pastors that have an entrepreneurial spirit as well, it's what's my part and what's God's part? I mean, we talk about you're a steward, but okay, I'm supposed to rest and trust in God and his wisdom, not strive, not be a workaholic, not feel this unbelievable pressure to make it happen, and yet I'm not to be passive. How do you do that? That's what I think we address in this book, I think in an understandable way. I think it's foggy and vague and try and entrepreneurs hit it and miss it. And we just go sort of, we zoom out of balance one direction, only the pendulum to zoom out of balance in the other direction. And I think this book will really help entrepreneurs in that to discern that, to realize, you know, I don't have to keep telling those around me, you know, once we get through this big launch, once we get through this, once we do this, once we do that, then things are going to change, which is the lie that we tell ourselves and those that love us. It is possible to be at rest, to have a peaceful heart, to take risk, to be very engaged and intense at times, and to also to know when to say no and not feel like the world depends on me. And that's as much or more an art as it is a science. And I think you and JD speak well to that. And I gave it my best shot as well. Yeah, it was a very, very good shot. I'm very grateful. It's a real treat for me. So as much as I'm semi-tempted to talk more about some of the issues that we unpack there, I'm also a little uncomfortable about the self-promotion, but I feel much better about talking about a book that you're coming out with that I think is really important. And it's called, Yes, You Can Really Change. Talk to us about it. What's in the book? What's it about? What's the reason for writing it? Well, it is about life change. I mean, we are made, entrepreneurs know this more than anyone else. The status quo makes us crazy. I would say the status quo, I don't want to be irreverent, it makes God crazy. We were made to change. His goal is to make us more and more like his son. And so this book is, um, it's really about how change happens. My experience after many years as a pastor, rubbing shoulders with, you know, business leaders, CEOs, is there's this, once the external changes, like, okay, the big morals, or maybe my language, or, you know, I basically tell the truth in business deals. There's those internal things that often get stuck. Greed, lust, resentment, anger, unresolved conflict, comparing yourself with others. God has an agenda and a way to transform us from the inside out. And my experience is most Christians don't know what that looks like. Most Christians are trying very hard to be a good person and involved in some good religious activities and some spiritual disciplines. But when you peel all that away, there's some things that God longs to change, and they're really stuck. They really don't know how that works. So when people read it and they're feeling stuck and they want to get out of being stuck, 
What's a takeaway that you want the readers to get at and just you hope that changes in their lives afterwards? The one thing, again, just the takeaway and not in a way that short change is the very important of unpacking how you get there that you're able to do in the book. But give us a takeaway, please. The fundamental takeaway is verse one of Ephesians four. It's grasping how deeply you're loved, who you really are and whose you are and then walking in a manner that is worthy of Christ. It's spiritual maturity. It's becoming like Christ in your speech, your thoughts, your actions, your business. And here's, I'll make a fine distinction, not working hard to look like you have good speech, good action. You know, I wrote my journal, uh, I'd like to say it was 20 years ago, but it was about a year and a half ago. And it was one of those defining, honest moments with God in a time of repentance, actually, and I remember writing, Father, I realize at times I spend more energy trying to look humble and more energy trying to look loving than I actually spend being humble and being loving. And, you know, that part of our DNA, if you're an entrepreneur, it's make it happen. And if you want to make it happen, you are always tempted, or most of us, to make the ends justify the means. And I think what I really long for people to see is living out of the overflow of your relationship with Christ that allows you to be at peace, that brings freedom, and honestly causes you to do things in ways that people shake their head and say, I didn't think you could be that kind of Christian and be successful in business. You're breaking a lot of the rules here, but you really believe in this Jesus that you talk about and this kingdom agenda that he has and that his up side down values. You know what? They don't make a lot of sense to me. You know, if you're an unbeliever, but I am, uh, I am in awe. That was the goal. Let your light so shine before men, right? That they could see your good deeds, that the evidence and how we actually live, how our businesses run, how we treat our employees, how we respond to a crisis. What do we do when there is failure? How do we treat people who have failed? The takeaway is, Doing that the way Jesus would do it if he lived inside your body. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's the reality. Jesus lives inside your body. You're his temple. And my dream is that people would learn just how to do that progressively, not perfectly, until we get to heaven and make a huge difference for God's kingdom. Amen. Amen. When you say that, I, we had a podcast yesterday recently on that talked about the difference between being and doing right? And how so many entrepreneurs get caught up in the doing part and reminded me of, I was recently studying Deuteronomy 8 and, you know, God talks about how he took the Israel 40 years so that they would learn humility. And I just, it struck me. It's like, he wasn't concerned with whether they were going to build this thing or, or build this tower, if they were going to, he just wanted them to learn humility. And I just think it's so profound that that's how much God cares about our hearts and who we are. And I think it pairs well with something I've heard you talk about before that I want to let you have some time on is what it means to live. I think the close cousin to humility or or what allows humility to happen is grace, right? And understanding God's grace. And those are just like a beautiful paradox to live together. And I'd love for you to tell what does it mean to live from God's approval as opposed to living for his approval. And specifically for an entrepreneur, I, I, Deuteronomy, I imagine there were people like, no, I'm supposed to be doing, doing, doing. And God's like, no, just sit and be humble and know who I am. But I wanted you to talk about that a little bit. Well, God is teaching them that he's their father. 
and he's leading, they're called the children of Israel. And he's taking them on an agenda. And he's our father. We're taught to pray that. And he's taking us on an agenda. And when we grow up in our families and in our school systems, what we learn is when you have bad behavior, you get punished. And when you have good behavior, you get rewarded. And it's really challenging after we know Christ personally to not fall back into that psychology and where we begin to think of God as sort of this ruler, this father, this judge. In other words, man, I want to do good things because he'll love me when I'm doing good. And boy, if I ever mess up, then he doesn't want to talk to me. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't love me. And so when you live for God's approval, you are consciously, or at least in my case, very unconsciously, you're living out of transaction and performance. When I'm doing well, I feel good about me. You know, I'm reading the Bible, I'm praying, I'm treating my employees well. You know, the margins are up, I'm making progress. Boy, when I failed, I blew up in that meeting, I've got unresolved anger. Man, I just promised my wife the last three nights I'd be home and I haven't made it to dinner a single time and I'm uptight and in meetings and I feel like, well, I can't talk to God now. You know, I'm, I'm out of his favor. And by contrast, you know, this book is about Ephesians chapter 4 and how life change actually occurs. But, you know, math goes like this. If there's an Ephesians 4, that means there's a 1, 2, and 3. And 1, 2, and 3 are about being loved, redeemed, about having a father, about being sealed with the Spirit. And at the very end of chapter 3, before he says anything about what we're to do, Paul says, I bow my knee before the Father. And he says, I'm praying now that God would grant to all believers, the height and depth and length and breadth and know to love of Christ that surpasses understanding, that he'd do a supernatural work so that we could live out of, I'm already loved, I'm already accepted. For an entrepreneur, especially, when you can get out of, I don't have to prove anything and I don't have to impress anyone, except I'm going to, by faith, do what God shows me is it a challenge? Yes, but it is awesome and liberating. Amen. Reminds me of a quote I heard one time. I don't know where I picked it up. It said, uh, grace can take you places that hustling can't. I've not heard that. I like that. It reminds me of a, uh, I think one of the greatest lines, especially for, I think, entrepreneurs, because we were activators and, you know, achievers. And Dallas Willard says, the greatest gift you will ever give God or any other person on the earth is not what you do, but who you become. And having sort of that entrepreneurial gene on the one hand, that my focus has been on, you know, building churches and ministries, I can say something that a lot of entrepreneurs can't. I've buried a lot of people. I mean, I've done lots and lots and lots and lots of funerals after 38 years as a pastor. And I have sat with those little cheese sandwiches afterwards when you're at the home. In fact, I just did a funeral of a very close friend last Thursday. And no one ever talks about the company they built. No one ever talks about, wow, what a cool watch they had, where they vacationed, how many homes they had, uh, what their startup was worth, uh, what venture capital firm got behind them, <laughs> you know, uh, what awards they won. The only thing that people that really care about talk about after you're gone, when they sit around and they both laugh and tell stories and remember you, is they talk about the quality of their relationship with you and the kind of person that you were. And I think that's why God 
so often he gives us challenging commands and they often feel restrictive, but he just so knows what will be best for us are just drive, drive, drive to produce, 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 achieve, achieve, achieve. A lot of that is in this big hole in our hearts that somehow when we go public, somehow when the startup really gets launched, somehow when I get funded, somehow when I'm written up in forms, somehow you just keep filling it in, then I'm a somebody. And um, those of you that have already been through the somehow and have been written up in Forbes or the startup work or you own a company, I know part of the faith-driven entrepreneur journey is to kind of reach back and say to some younger entrepreneurs, it's a lie. Don't buy the lie. There's more to life than whatever you think the big success is. So, um, you know, my heart in this book is to help that average man, that average woman go on an internal journey where that gets so solidified that they can actually live out of the grace of God and not out of this pounding performance that we just default to. Yeah, that's great. You know, to that point, you actually write that evangelical Christianity has developed a culture in which no one's really surprised when someone prays to receive Christ, and then they just continue on the same lifestyle, right? With minimal change. Why do we think that is? I mean, how do we get to that point? And I think you're uniquely uh, qualified, Chip, to maybe help us understand how do we challenge that trend? Yeah, I'm really, really tempted to quote many, many Bible passages. And then I love to read philosophy and history, and I'm reading a lot about the last 100 years or so in America and and trends. But I'm going to skip all that and give you three very practical reasons. But they're kind of rooted. Number one is a marriage occurred between the American dream and the gospel. And they got so intertwined that we got confused about what the gospel is and the American dream. And so part of our desire to get the gospel to people, we wanted to identify with the culture. And so this idea of being a consumer, being upwardly mobile, little by little by little, not just in the you know extreme prosperity areas, but in good Bible teaching churches, there came to be this sense that Jesus really came to earth to make my life successful, a great marriage, wonderful kids, upwardly mobile, a great education. And when he doesn't kind of give me this great life, well, I'm pretty disappointed on him. And if he didn't, you know, do his part of the bargain, I don't know if I'm going to do mine. The second is that biblical illiteracy, once you remove the truth, and then there's relative truth, and then there's a pounding culture, a lot of people don't know what the Bible says. I mean, I've been to very good Bible-oriented churches and had a bunch of young professionals all in their 20s, all very bright, all at a church that you would all know, a pastor that I know, really, really wonderful. And for about 12 weeks, they all sat around my table in Atlanta. And my wife fed all of them, and I did a Bible study for about 12 weeks. And I mean, it wasn't three weeks, and some of them were living together. Blatant morality... And literally, it wasn't like there was no sense of shame. It was, you, you think this is wrong? And we would go to the scriptures and, wow, you know, I, I didn't know that was there. So I think that's the second part. And then I think the third, which is pretty obvious, the cultural pressures. We had a sense where um, in the 50s, changed in the 60s, rapidly changing in the 70s, the 80s, but the Judeo-Christian ethic tell the truth, some certain aspects of morality. 
the culture supported the gospel view of life. That's completely changed. And with that, then what you find is to believe that marriage is between a man or a woman, for instance, to believe that there's absolute truth. You're on the outside looking in. And so I think that cultural pressure has caused a lot of people who, you know, would consider themselves Christian, go to church a couple times a month, intellectually at least believe that Jesus is God, say the right things. That doesn't get transferred into how they actually live their life. But I think the difference is that's not with a cognizant awareness that my life is really off. I'm really out of line with God. I think there's a pretty strong deception that, hey, I believe in God. I'm trying to be a good person. And I go to church now and then. And I think we've redefined Christianity is, you know, be a little religious and try to be a little bit nicer person and have your morals, you know, 5% better than the next guy. Is that also what you, because you, you talk about passive faith. Yep. So is that what you're trying to say there? And I mean, there's some dangers in passive faith, right? Oh, it's the most dangerous place in all the universe to be is deceived. By definition, when you're deceived, you don't know it. Uh, the average Christian, few statistics, and I'll try and wrap this into a, a cogent thought. The average committed believer goes to church 1.6 times a month. Uh, is in the Bible less than two times a week. And then if you can imagine, even regularly, one to two hours a couple times a month to strengthen your faith and maybe reading the Bible once a week, maybe even getting together once a month and talking about spiritual things, imagine the other 168 hours of every week divided by all the bombardment of culture, movies, Netflix, social media, and it's an avalanche of untruth in many cases that literally is crushing people's soul. But when I feel like, when I look around and say, you know, the people that I know are Christians, you know, they go once, maybe twice a month, and you know, go to the mountains once a week, do this, you know, got to be with the kids and the traveling team. You know, we've made lots of ways where we look around and the new standard is how is everyone else doing instead of what does God say? And if you're not in the scriptures, you don't know what God says. And there's this movement. I don't mean this critically. I mean this with compassion. In Bible teaching, many evangelical churches, there's a compromising of some very clear biblical moral standards and Christian institutions that are sort of affirming, you know what? I'm not sure Jesus was all that serious about this, you know, no sex before marriage and you know, and so what happens is the teaching even gets compromised. And so we have a generation of people who, Barna, Pew, all the research says, about eight out of 10 people who would claim to be followers of Jesus, their life is marginally or no different than their unbelieving counterparts. And it's two sides. It's scary because of the consequences, but I want to push the other side. It's so sad because you're missing out on so much. I mean, when God says, do not be conformed any longer, like obedient children, instead, 1 Peter 1, he says, but live a holy life because he's holy, you're called to be holy. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The intent and the heart's desire was that people would experience the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. He wants us to have great relationships. He wants us to be at peace. And um, passive faith doesn't deliver that. All right, Chip, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to let you 
have some time to speak to this level of doers. So we've got, you know, our audience is entrepreneurs. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say, no matter what you say, when people hear, you know, you need to be holier. And when people hear those statistics, they're going to say, okay, I know how to do this. I need to get in the Bible seven days a week. I need to get in church 3.9 times a month, maybe even 4.6 if that's possible, if it's a long <laughs> month with five Sundays, right? Um, that's where my mind goes. I'll share myself, right? I'm like, gosh, I, I'm in. So, so I need to go memorize Psalm 23 tomorrow morning and I need to do this and I need to do that. I just go into that. And I've seen, I know you write in the book that, you know, spiritual transformation is not the result of trying harder to be holy or do better. I, I hear that. I say amen to that. I don't know how to do it. Could you give me and maybe some of our other listeners some tips? How do I do that? You're, it's truth, but I receive it and can't act on it. He's asking, does God have KPIs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes and no. Oh, okay, that's the nuance. That's the yeah. paradox. Walk, yeah. walk us through it. There is always going to be a challenge and a tension between our being and our doing. At the risk of being Bible teacher, let me speak to an entrepreneur, you always start with the end in mind. You have this picture of what you want to see happen. That's how God works. So let me, in my mind, walk you through a very quick overview of Ephesians chapter 4, because if you don't understand the flow, you'll just jump into like what you just said. Well, I'll just memorize more. I'll do more. I'll, I'll go to church more. At the core of life change is understanding identity. It's all about identity. It's not about performance, gaining, impressing. It is, you were in darkness, you are now in light. You were a son of darkness, you're now the son of light. You've been sealed, you've been paid for. You're valuable, you're wanted, your future is secure. Now, I want you to have your beliefs or your lifestyle to be reflected in your behavior. And so, the first place you go, contrary to what we do in most churches, and I've been guilty of this, is the first place we tend to go is read the Bible, pray, go to church more, etc. Where the Bible goes is a command, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, and then listen, with all humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. The very first place genuine life change happens in an environment, just like that little green worm becomes a butterfly in the environment of a cocoon. Genuine, deep life change where your doing flows out of your being, it happens in a level of relationships that many of us never have experienced. So the first step is, okay, I'm a brand new person. I have to be in close connection with other very genuine other believers. And that first place is my family. So with all humility, I'm going to grow by putting the needs of my wife and my children, if I'm married, or my roommate ahead of myself. I can't do that. Good. Now ask me for help. Well, then I'm going to do that with all gentleness. That means letting go of my rights. That means I'm going to do it. Well, I can't do that. Good. You can't do that. I'm going to help you. Ask me to help you to to use the power that you have instead of using people to use it to serve others. And then they're going to make you a little bit crazy. And so you have to be patient with them. I don't have that in me. In other words, what happens is you're in this close proximity of relationships. The first command in how we're to walk is these. And then he goes bearing up with them and talks about this unity. And so what I want everyone to hear is the American individualistic sort of me, God, my Bible, I'll work really hard, I can teach myself, that is an impossible way to change. 
It happens in the cocoon of authentic, deep relationships. Most entrepreneurs don't have that. In fact, what you guys are doing with the small groups are critical. The second thing is the power isn't your will. Verses 7 through 10, I just covered verses 1 through 6. 7 through 10 is what Christ accomplished in between Friday when he died and Sunday morning when he arose. And he defeated death, sin, Satan, and declared it in the lower parts of the earth. And so he wants us to understand you've been given spiritual gifts, but the evidence, the reminder of those gifts are this. It's supernatural. It's I've given it to you. I beat death. I beat the power of sin. I took the penalty. And this giftedness, these talents, what I've given you, I want you to use those as a steward rather than this is my toolbox to make me great. And then he goes on to say in 11 through 16, I'm going to put some people in your life to help you get where you can't go on your own. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the work of the ministry. Why? So until we all achieve the fullness of Christ, that's the goal. And then he says, do you really want to know whether you're changing or not? He says, then we're not tossed like children here and there by every wind of doctrine. We speak the truth and love to one another, and we learn to participate to find out where we fit. Doctrinal stability, you know the scriptures, speaking the truth in love, and then finding your part where you're connected and loving others. And so what I want people to know is that's just the runway. And then verse 17 to 24 is going to teach you your personal responsibility. Once you sort of are in that environment, it says, okay, put off the old. It's like taking off dirty clothes. I used to be on porn. I used to drink too much. I used to womanize. Stop it. Renew your mind. This is what God says. I am going to memorize. Here's some doing. I'm going to memorize scripture. I'm going to put good things in my mind. And then I'm going to put on these activities. And then what he does in verses 25 to 32, he's going to say, you can't just try hard to do those. You have to go into training. And he'll take five specific areas that I walk people through that are strategic. Go into training around integrity. Go into training around work. Go into training around your emotions. Go into training around your attitudes. And I talk about how to take it off, renew your mind, put it on. So it's the whole chapter. And for people to understand, it's a journey it's a process. It can't be done alone. It has already been accomplished. And this is that phrase, and you'll hate it, but it's true. It's appropriating what you already have. The Christian life is letting Jesus live his life through you, not you busting your rear end. I'll say that on this one. In order to somehow step up and be that good Christian entrepreneur that, you know, you're high integrity, you got a great marriage, you're being a great dad, you're growing a good company, and inside your soul is crushed, and there's envy inside, and there's fear, and there's anxiety. That is not God's plan for us. Sounds like you got a sermon instead of a discussion. Sorry about that. So I was just going to say, that's a, you know those old school things you used to rip them off? It's like a five minutes. they called them sermon jams. I was like, Chip just gave us a sermon jam. Right it was there. a sermon jam. We're just gonna, we're just gonna print that. Uh, amen. Appropriating what you already have. A guy called me up seven or eight years ago, and he said, "Listen, I think I've got a word from the Lord for you." And I'm like, "Okay, go with it." And he said, "You know what? My sense is that you're a really good giver," and I felt pretty good about myself. He said, "But my sense is also that you're a really bad receiver." And I'm like, "Oh my goodness!" I felt good for about two seconds there, and then. 
I think that entrepreneurs tend to be doers rather than beers. We tend to be givers rather than receivers. Mm. Appropriating what we already have and letting that seep in. So I'm getting from this. You can't change. You can't really think and expect to change aside from being band-aids or any type of change in your actions will be temporary if you haven't really just really received. Yeah, I, I think you're right. In fact, you know, the number one entrepreneur in the church is Peter. I mean, Jesus didn't, you know, sometimes we downplay, yes, they weren't the most educated guys, but they had a fishing business, <laughs> you know? And, and what was his number one challenge? Lord, don't wash my feet. And I think my time with God has so changed from, did I read my Bible? How long do I have to pray? How many verses am I memorizing? And how am I negotiating all of that to... I just want to be with you. I would like to hear what you want to say. I'm glad that you want to see me. I'm glad that you're kind. I'm glad your understanding is infinite. Like this morning, I woke up extraordinarily early for me, and I laid there for a while thinking, it's got to get at least to the four before I'm going to get out of bed. And and I just had all seven thirty. This you were looking at this, and it was seven thirty-three. You wanted to wait for it to get. Yeah, this. it was kind of three thirty-eight. And, uh, you know, I'm glad to wake up whenever the Lord wants me to get up. But as I laid there, it was just my mind. It was all the kindness, the grace, the good things. And I just sensed it was like the Lord just wanted to be with me. Let's get up together. And as I made a cup of coffee, went down, sat on the floor of my office, lit a candle, leaned back. And then I got my journal out. I just I started writing. Thank you. And I got into like five pages and, you know, I didn't read the whole Bible a whole lot. And, but what's changed is I'm receiving. I just, I don't think God's surprised that we're needy. I don't think God's got his arms crossed and has a little, you know, like, okay, only two stars on the refrigerator, on the big, you know, refrigerator in the heaven for you today. And you only prayed for 7.8 minutes. And I think here's the KPI. Do you love me? Am I most precious? Do you treasure me? Is your ambition to please me? And do you mess it up every day? And do you sincerely come and say, you know, Lord, I'm, I did this. This was just yesterday. I had to text two people in my office and apologize. Something came up and I could feel myself getting a little ramped up. I said, no, hey, here's the deal. No, those are the deadlines. And I went off a little bit and you know, their eyes kind of got a little bit big. And in my defense, I, of course, didn't mean too much by it. But I realized was it was like that old flesh cropping up that, no, we're going to hold that publisher accountable. They said they're going to do this and blah, blah, blah. And it was with a tone of voice. And, you know, so we joked about it, you know, and, they, ah, ha, 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 ha. and then I drove out and I was in my car, went to go work out. And Holy Spirit said, you're joking about it, but joking about it doesn't cover it up. Chip, that was the old you. That was, they need to make this happen. They need to live up to this. You're going to make it happen. That's displeasing. That doesn't make me happy. You need to apologize to the people in your office. Of course, then you have this like, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> the Holy Spirit says, no, you need to address that right now. And they were gracious, but... It was interesting. The peace left. You know, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you called into one body and be thankful. 
the peace just left. And the moment I apologized to both of them, asked them to forgive me, it was just like, whew. That's what we're talking about. That when we say, how do you change? That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about you got it all together and you never blow up. You never, I think it's being authentic in your relationship with the Lord and responding to how he leads you. That's a good word, Henry, receiving. Yeah, it's good. I'm not very good at receiving either. Maybe we should yeah. receive with one another. <laughs> so Chip, you know, you understand entrepreneurs as well, if not better than any pastor that I've run into. So let's say we've got a listener who's committed to this transformation, right? And I don't want to turn this into doing, but they are asking themselves the question, you know, are there elements of the climate around me, right? As an entrepreneur, that if I could just maybe change or shift or think about them differently, you know, it would help support me in the real transformation that I want to have happen in my life. You know, talk to our entrepreneurs about those elements of a climate. Okay. I want to talk about the climate and then let's dispel something because we're unconsciously, not explicitly, but we're implicitly applying you either should be doing or being. No, no, no. What we're really saying is your doing needs to flow from your being. That's a fundamental difference. It's, hey, let's face it. If you don't do anything, you don't have a company. <laughs> you know, if you don't do anything, you'll never change. But that doing can be, I'm going to prove myself. I have to make it happen, filled with anxiety and fear. And, or it can flow out of a quiet center where the Spirit of God is empowering you and you are co-laboring with Him. It's not all God or it's all me. It's together. But there is an environment. I like to, I have an acronym for life that I have never met. And I think the Bible teaches this. I think history teaches this. My little acronym, if that acronym is not operating in your life, you will not change. And the acronym for life is bio, like, you know, bioethics or biology, B-I-O. And three things have to happen in any believer's life. Number one, the B stands for before God. I believe you have to come before God daily. And by that, I certainly mean a specific time. But the reformers had this idea where, like, yes, I meet with God in the morning, first thing. And then I'm praying. I'm living before the face of God all day. I'm praying in the car. I'm meditating on Scripture. I'm, you know, in other words, I want to be before God. I'm living a life before God consciously and with some regiment of God's word and prayer. And then I believe it's important to come before God corporately. You know, the rhythm of Jesus was once a week. And there is something to hearing the word of God preached. There's something to being in a community of people and singing together and worshiping God that is transformational. The I is for in community. And I don't mean just in a small group. When I was a younger pastor, I used to say life change happens in small groups. And it's true. I got into too many small groups where there wasn't life change. You know, we were talking, you know, we read a verse, someone filled in a blank and, hey, who do you think the 49ers are going to take as quarterback? Or, you know, the women are over there going, hey, did you see that sale? And so and so, you know. And so in community is the kind of heart to heart, face to face, authentic, dependent and raw connection with one another, where the two strong edges of in community are, number one, the real me can show up 
and the real you is going to show up and you are going to love me and I'm going to love you enough that you can share your deepest hurts and struggles that won't shock me and they will go nowhere else. And this is a safe place to process this. And the other edge of that is that if you keep sharing the same struggles that are just sin and don't do anything about it, or I see you drifting and doing some stuff that you know and I know are wrong, I'm going to love you enough to not in my mind go, who am I to judge? And I'm going to get in your grill and I'll sit outside your home and I'm going to tell you, I love you so much. This isn't, we're not playing games. I love you so much. I'm watching how you're relating to your secretary, and that's bad. Uh, the last time we were together, you know, I could tell. You know, you didn't have a glass of wine after dinner. I could tell on the phone. I don't know what you're doing, but... And when you have that, see, that's genuine accountability and love. But that's in community. That's what Jesus had. And the third one, the O, is for on mission. And on mission means it's two aspects. One is the moment you wake up, you're a servant of the living God. So if you're a husband, it's what does my wife need? What do my kids need? What's going on around here? I'm a servant leader. When I pull out of my driveway, here's a neighborhood and I'm Christ ambassador. When I get to work or where my startup is or the garage that we're hanging out in, I'm going to serve. When I go to church, it's not like, you know, consumer, where can I make a difference? And then the on mission, then primarily as you discover, as you mature, this is my primary spiritual gift. These are my talents. And I can be best used by taking 80% of my service orientation around what I do best, what God uniquely made me to do. I call it my Ephesians 2.10 calling. And so B-I-O. And what it does for me, it's like, this is for life. Well, what life? This is the life of Christ being produced in me. Because B, we always become like people we hang around. So I'm going to hang around with Jesus I'm going to hang around with people who love him, and then I'm going to serve because there's something about giving away. Give, it'll be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. As you give your life away, you discover it. So that's the environment, and those are dues. Those are flat out, and I do it when I feel like it, and I do it when I don't feel like it. Uh, that's the other, and boy, you guys got me off, but I think we've got this idea that if I don't really feel like serving or loving or reading the Bible right now, I don't want to be inauthentic. That's a bunch of garbage. <laughs> doing what you don't want to do or feel like doing is probably one of the greatest evidences of love ever. Jesus did not emotionally want to die for you, <laughs> okay? He, he didn't go to the garden and go, oh, Father, we've got this all planned out. This is going to be awesome. You know, it's going to be pretty tough on me. It was like emotionally, I don't want to do it. If there's any plan B, it's choosing to do. The spirit that produces discipline, discipline is a spirit-produced ability to do what you don't feel like doing and doing what needs to be done when it needs to get done. And I think when I do acts like that for my wife or for God or for others, I think I might be more loyal and more loving than ever before because I sure didn't feel like doing it. Mm. That was a little bit of a long explanation. That's, we'll, we'll, count, explanation. we'll count that sermonette number two. Double no, sermon awesome. jam. Double sermon jam. You got, you got two sermon jams for the oh, price man, of I one. I'm starting to feel the Jones here. I know. I know. I feel like we got to get second hour or get, like, like, get, or get you to a gym, one or the other. We got, 
we got two scoops there. All of a sudden, two we're going to sco- be scoop. There it is. Scoop. I got it, man. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Killing it. He's killing it. Well, oh, you, you I, I just can't think of anything better for an entrepreneur, too. I mean, with the way you beautifully articulated that, I mean, I just, there's so many things you just have to do out of love for your company, out of love for your vision, out of love for your employees, out of love for the investors you've promised. You know, I would imagine any listener here is one, hopefully going to go pick up your book and two, not going to look at Ephesians 4 uh, quite the same way again. In my mind's eye, I'm, I could be crazy, but I have this sense of what we've said and how I might be thinking about what I need to do. And I just want to say one thing, this can't be done alone. It just, I mean, the level of intensity, the discipline, the encouragement, the failure that you're going to have, every command in the New Testament is in the second person plural. This Christian life, it's Christ living his life through you, but it's not hard. It's impossible. And we can't do it alone. My number one thing for those listening would be, who's a brother if you're a man, or who's a sister, who's someone that has the kind of walk with God and you have the kind of relationship that you might say, you know, man, I was listening to this podcast, Faith Driven Entrepreneur, and I got to have at least one other person in my life that wants to do life this way. Yes, we want to build a great company and yes, we want to have great families, but it's got to flow out of a deep abiding relationship with God. I need help. I need help doing that. I just wanted to encourage our listeners with that because those of us that want to make something happen, I, I don't usually wait around for someone. I just get going. And I think this is one you need to get going, but boy, you need to get going with someone. Oh, I love it. Okay. I know my last question now. I'm going to ask you, Chef, what is your favorite, maybe not favorite's the wrong word, but what is one of your favorite partnership stories in the Bible where you say that is a partnership someone should go read about to be encouraged to find a partner for their journey? Two partnerships come to my mind. I think that I love uh, Jonathan and David. David would not be David without Jonathan. And uh, not only humility of saying, hey, you know, rightfully being this king, that's my deal. But I recognize God and his hand on your life. But there's this classic time when David literally was going down the tubes and the circumstances you know, it would be like all your investors in one day said, we're not going to invest. The bank calls your note and your top three employees quit. That was where David was. And it says, Jonathan went and encouraged him in God. And I think the other partnership is Barnabas and Saul. If you read Acts very carefully, Barnabas really is the leader. I mean, he's the head man, but he sees a need that someone else is better at filling. And he goes and gets Paul because he knows Paul's real gifts are with the Gentiles. And then they do these tours together. And you read the text. It's Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. And then over time, it's Paul and Barnabas. And it's that humility. Barnabas, even the kind of convictions that he's an encourager, he recognizes his strengths. And he says, you know, second journey, we need to take Mark. And Paul says, you know, that threatens the ministry. The outcome's too important. And I think they were both right. So Paul says, if you want to keep being an encourager, you go ahead and take Mark. This guy's got potential. Titus, you come with me. They doubled the ministry. Years later, Paul would write, send Mark and the parchments, especially the parchments, because Mark is of great value and service to me. 
Barnabas didn't give up on him. So I think the kind of partnerships where, you know, there's seasons, there's specific roles, there's genuine humility. The goal is the kingdom. It's not, you know, who does what. It's about fulfilling what God wants. Those are the ones that thrill my heart. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. We hope you enjoyed it. We are very grateful for the opportunity to serve you, the larger faith-driven entrepreneur community, and we want to stay connected. The best way for you to do that is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. And while you're there, we want to hear from you. We derive great joy from interacting with many of you, and it's been very rewarding to see people come to the site and listen to the podcast now from more than over 100 countries. But it's even more important to us that you feel like this is your show and that you'll help make it something that best equips you on your entrepreneurial journey, one that you're proud of and one that you're going to share with others. Hey, this podcast wouldn't be possible without the help from many of our friends, executive producer Justin Foreman and program director Johnny Wills. Music is by Carl Kegwell. You can see and hear more of his work at summerdregs.com. Audio and editing by Richard Barley of Cornerstone Church in San Francisco.